Yeah? Okay. Um, i just explain a couple of things that are slightly different. I, this is not me trying to be more modern by using my laptop. It's more that I couldn't print off the words for my talk. So um, you've got that. Uh, also, Rihanna would normally have played drums, uh, my daughter, but she has gone away for a week to something called The Challenge, uh, where Afwa works for The Challenge, and she sent Rihanna away for a week, and I, I had to take her to the bus stop just around the corner. Um, and she's gone to Wales, where she'll be um, uh, building rafts and doing other such things. And uh, I never did anything like that, uh, but actually I, I think she'll be pretty good at those, uh, those types of things. So, so Pauline just told me that she's, she's okay, she's met the leader, and she likes the leader, so good news. Because if she didn't like the leader, she'd be phoning me up saying, Dad, I'm not happy, so um, that's good. Um, we're going to do the, the final one of our series in Colossians, which I know has been a bit broken up, but for me personally, I love the book of Colossians, and uh, we'll come on to that in a moment. There's just a couple of things um, I want to mention before we get into that. And the first is this, that, that next Sunday we begin a, a short series of three weeks on, on Christian marriage, uh, building relationships in the, in the 21st century. And, and we're basically going to look at marriage over three weeks and we're going to look at three uh, aspects of it. We're going to uh, look at Christian marriage and singleness. And on that particular one, we are, um, uh, we're actually going to look at what's the... What's the status and purpose of being single? And how do, you, how do you like find a marriage partner? I don't mean like literally how do you do that, but what are you looking for uh, when you look for uh, a, a marriage partner? We're going to be doing that next week. Um, then the following week, we're going to look at uh, Christian marriage and sex. And then the final week, we're going to look at um, Christian marriage I'll call it Christian marriage that lasts, but really it's, it's marriage and the gospel and how those two things link together. So uh, one of the things that I'm... Um, uh, I mean, it's no good being passionate about marriage on my own, but Pauline and I are quite passionate about marriage. And one of the reasons for that is um, we saw so many relationships in our early married life where people got married and within a few years that, that their relationships had come to an end and... And we had a number. We were talking to some friends on, on the Friday night, actually, and it was interesting because they said, oh, we've not had that experience at all. They, they, they named one couple, but, but we could name... I mean, OK, we've been married 22 years now, but we could name um, maybe 10 to 15 couples who got married either, either a few years before us or a few years after us who are no longer married. And so... Um, every time that happened, it caused you to examine yourself and to look at your own heart and your own relationship and how you did it. And every time it probably put particularly in me a desire to go, somehow we've got to work on this so that doesn't happen. And then uh, after a few years, we began, we got the privilege of getting involved in, in um, people's weddings and, and marriage prep. And marriage prep with Owen and Pauline is not like a fun time. It's not like we have sweets and, and we're just saying, isn't it a joyous moment? This is a moment to try and help people to uh, become equipped with the tools that they're going to need for when they get married and to understand how marriage is supposed to work. Now, we are not saying at all that we are uh, uh, perfect or uh, because I am not, I'm not perfect in, in any way as a, as a husband, but, but we are intentional about it. We do think about it. 
I do pray about it. I do read about it. And um, one of the things that we're going to be using next week is Tim Keller's written a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And we've ordered some copies and we're going to have them available, which we're, we're going to sell at a discount price. It is brilliant. It is the best book on marriage I've ever read. And it is really applicable whether you're single, engaged or you're married. This book is brilliant. And so we're going to get that book. In fact, Dan's written a, um, a review of it because Dan reads all the books here. And I just say, what's this book about? No, I have read that book, actually. Um, he's written a review of it, which is uh, going to be on our website. So you can look at that. But I really, really would recommend that you bring five pounds next week to buy that book. And that um, if, you're, if you're single, you, you must read it. You must read it. And if you don't fully get it, then you need to talk to somebody about it. And if you're married, you, you definitely need to um, get hold of it. Um, the, co- the series is for all of us. It, it's not for us. It's not just for those of us who are married. This is not like, oh, let's do something for the marrieds here. This is about the church because marriage in the church is a big thing. And um, marriage in our world is, being, is, is under attack. Christian marriage is under attack in so many ways and it's been undermined in so many ways. And so we want to, if you like, just bring some clarity and we want to make our little stand here in Brixton that we believe in Christian marriage. We do believe that God brings people together and that, and that he helps and that he builds um, relationships and he builds churches on the basis of those things. And so a good understanding of marriage is great whether you are married or whether you're single. If you've got friends you want to bring to that, then you're welcome to do that as well. Um, but just so you know, that's what we're doing. Um, the other notice I just need to give is, is about the summer. So um, uh, normally one or two people um, go away in the summer. And what's happening this summer is the Ritzy are closing the upstairs bar to us for the first three weeks of August. Um, they're doing some refurbishment, uh, which is great for them, uh, inconvenient for us. Um, so what we're going to do, that would impact us quite a lot because even though we weren't planning to have kids work in the same way as, as we have it normally, it would impact us because it would mean that we would finish here and there'd be nowhere to go. Yeah, we go upstairs. Um, so what we're going to do um, for, for the four weeks of August is we're not going to meet at the Ritzy for the four weeks of August. We're going to meet at the community centre where we normally have... Um, community group on a Tuesday night. We're going to meet there on a Sunday morning. Now, one of the biggest advantages of that, and, and one of the reasons that that, um, although it might sound odd, it excites me, is um, one of the things we loved about our weekend away, or I loved about our weekend away, was just the amount of time we got to spend together and that we could drink coffee and talk and play table tennis and chat and, and we could then worship and, and there wasn't so many time constraints. And the community centre will give us that just for a few weeks. So it would be a really, really good thing to do um, for us. I mean, they've also got sofas there. I don't know how that will work with preaching, but uh, they've got sofas there for you to... It's a bit like here, I suppose, comfy chairs. Um, so we're going we're gonna to meet there just for the four weeks of August, the 5th, the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th, and we'll let you know that over the next few weeks. But we'll, be ru- we'll run a normal meeting, um, but we'll meet there. Maybe one of those days we'll do lunch. We can have tea and coffee right there as well. So uh, for August, that's what we're going to do because um, they're doing some work here, which would mean it, it's a little bit more tricky for us. And we'll, we'll, let, um, we'll ask the Ritzy about letting people know who might turn up here, and we have to think about how we do that in terms of welcome and all those types of things. 
Okay, so we're coming to the, the final one of our series of Colossians. Um, I found out this week that the Brixton Mosque, uh, which is not far from here, it's opposite the police station, just under the bridge, has the largest number of converts to Islam in the whole of the country. And at the moment, the Brixton Mosque um, has a building that seats or fits in about 500 people, and they are developing to increase that to 1,000 people. Now, it's quite well known that among many uh, particularly young uh, black um, Afro-Caribbeans and, and Africans even, there are lots of people who were once Christian who were turning to Islam. And that's been going on probably for the last 10 or 15 years on, a, on an increasing basis, both here and in the States. What I find amazing about that, um, uh, people are turning to a faith where God is seen as great, um, but God is also feared, and it's rightly to fear God. But God is also distant, and your relationship with him is not personal. Yeah? So I'm not, I'm not being controversial when I say that about Islam. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't present a personal relationship with God. It's a distant God. God is distant, he's great, he's to be feared, and people are turning to God like that. They're turning to a God who is like that. And I think to myself sometimes, as I thought about it this week, imagine if some of those people understood, because do you know why I think some of them are turning to God like that? It's because I think they think the Christian God's like that, but it's a little bit worse. Yeah? There are other things about the Christian God that they struggle with, but they see the Christian God as being distant to be feared and not personal and not a relationship. And I, I was thinking about this. Imagine if people listened enough, gave enough attention to understand that the God of the Bible was indeed great and awesome and to be feared, but he was also personal. He can be known and he's made himself known. And I, and I was just imagining if people understood that you could actually know God, if you cut out all the sort of, all the cultural baggage, all the human stuff, you can actually know God. He's made himself known to us. I wonder how many people would, would genuinely turn to him and think, you know, if they were honest, is it true you can know God? You can actually know him. And we were able to say, yes, of course you can know him. He's made himself known to us. And it's one of the things I love about this book of Colossians. And I think it does it really well. It gives us the picture of God who is great and awesome and supreme. And, and you read the first particular, the first chapter of Colossians, the first bit of Colossians, that's the picture it gives of God. He's the image of the invisible God that Jesus is. He's the firstborn over all creation. By him, through him, and for him, all things are made. All things were made. And it's talking about Jesus there. 
And at the same time, we're told that in this, this person who is who's the image of the invisible God, all things are made by him and through him and for him, that the fullness of God dwells in him in bodily form. That somehow God who exists in the universe existed in bodily form. That's quite an amazing truth. Yeah? And most faiths don't have that truth. They don't, they don't have that sort of tension where God is great and out there, but also God is personal and lives here. They don't have that. The incarnation is not like commonly thought about. It's not, it's not a religious thing. It's a Christian thing. The fact that God came and dwelt among us is Christian. It's not religious. It's not spiritual. It's Christian. God in Christ transcends everything, yet he comes to us as a man. And he takes us as his children. And do you know what the passage said almost in a throwaway line? That the fullness of God that exists in Christ dwells in us. So if you're a believer, the fullness of God that exists in Christ dwells in you. And so the gospel has this tension And this book, Colossians, sort of covers that because it begins with all this talking about how great he is and then at the end of the book, Paul's just writing to people. He names people. So it's it's great, it's also personal and then he's just talking to people. You know, say hi to so-and-so. Yeah, it'd be a bit like you going on a trip and me saying, oh, give this letter to so-and-so and say hi to them. That's what he writes at the end of the book. And so we're going to read just the final few verses. Um, forgive me if I get the names wrong, yeah, because I wasn't around in those days. I don't understand all the names. And you might, we had this on Thursday at my community group. We were having a, a, a discussion about whether Philemon was Philemon or Philemon. And so um, forgive me if I use pronounced words in ways that you wouldn't, um, but you get the point. Um, okay, so Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. 
Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Just going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you're here by your spirit. I pray that your word this morning will strengthen our hearts and refresh our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was sort of preparing for, for this talk, and, and I suppose you know, it was the last minute when I came up really with what I wanted to talk about, and um, it's this, this, that this section is about completing the work. Completing the work. And Paul is all about trying to, um, he's talking to people who are helping him to complete the work. And I realised that for the church to be built, there were a number of characters that are needed. There are a number of characteristics that you need if you're going to build the church, because this is what Paul talks about here. And some of it is actually really encouraging, because the people he talks about are like you and me. If you like, they're not, they're not always perfect. They're not always doing the right things. So that they're weak, and at times that they're, they're struggling. And so he sort of identifies here four types of people that I want to look at briefly this morning. The first is the faithful. And we'll look at some who are faithful. The second is the prayerful. The third, the hospitable. And the fourth, the purposeful. So you've got these four different types of characters that you need if you're going to build and establish the church. And that's what we're trying to do here at Beacon. We're, we are still trying to establish a church. The, that vision, that dream hasn't died, that God wants a church that's grace-filled and spirit-filled in this place. And, and I see the need for it more and more. Yeah, As I get more and more involved in the community, I met this week the, um, um, the chaplain of uh, Brixton Prison, um, I had a number of meetings this week with different church leaders around the area and people are doing a great work. But do you know what I sometimes feel there is a lack of? Yeah? There's, a, there's a great pursuit of, of fulfilling and dealing with lots and lots of needs. And this area has some big needs. Yeah? It was only a few days ago there was um, an altercation in, a, in an estate not far from here called Angeltown. Um, which I, I was in a meeting the next day and they're talking about it and then they're reflecting on it. And do you know what? I sometimes think the church lacks and it's, it's looking at what can we do, what can we do? I think it, it's not that it doesn't pray, but it doesn't necessarily believe the gospel transforms people. It doesn't necessarily believe or it doesn't necessarily operate like it's the gospel that's going to make the difference here. It's not if we can set up a new youth club and get some people in and they can be a good influence. No, in the end, the thing that will touch people and change people is the gospel. Yeah, that's the thing. In the end. And, and so I say in these meetings, and I'm in meetings and there's like Catholic bishops and priests and all sorts of people. I say, do you know what we need to do? I said, I said we need to talk about, I said, when I go to food bank, the thing I see is not, that, is not that people haven't got their benefits and all that type of stuff. I see the breakdown of family and that we need to build churches with families. And they sit all sort of silently looking at me like, what, what did you say? Surely we need to find out how to help them with their benefits. I'm thinking, that's not, it's not that it's wrong to help people with their benefits, but actually we need to help people understand um, family and the gospel and that God changes them and, God, and that there is hope in the gospel. We live in a place that has no hope, and sometimes, sometimes, I even think the church doesn't have hope. And I'm like, oh God, 
God, would you do something? So we need to be here, folks. We need to be here alongside all those other churches, bringing the hope of the gospel. But what you notice here with Paul is that there are these these characteristics that he's talking to. Is At the end of Colossians, he, he writes to a number of people. And he first of all, he talks about the faithful. The faithful. And Tychicus is a faithful man. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant, it says about him. And you first read about him in Acts uh, chapter 20, where Paul is going through Greece and Macedonia. It talks about Tychicus being there with him during those journeys as he travels through those places. Also, he's given this responsibility of carrying the letters. So he's not just carrying the letter to Colossae, but he is. He's also carrying a letter called Philemon. Um, Philemon uh, was a member of the church in Colossae, and Onesimus, who we talk about here, was actually his slave. And so they're taking this letter to him, So they've been given this responsibility to take some of Paul's words. And, and you think when Paul wrote that letter, he wasn't thinking to himself, this letter will stand the test of time. It's going to be there in 2,000 years and it's going to be read by millions and millions of people. And for many, many, many of those people, this will be how they understand Jesus. He's not thinking that. He's writing a letter because he's heard that the church is under attack. There's, there's pressures in that church. There are difficulties and he's writing to encourage them. But oh, what an encouragement. What an encouragement it is to us to read what he wrote to Colossae. Yeah? So, so it would have been much more, there were a few people in a room, it's not going to be this big grand setting that he's talking to. He's writing to a few people. Now, it, 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 it touches millions and millions of people. But at that moment, it was a few people. In the same way, we're a few people one day we'll touch many, many, many more people because of what God is going to do among us. So he's, he's writing to, to this and Tychicus takes it. Onesimus, he's another person, but here you've got a man who uh, the, the Bible sort of uh, describes him. You, you read a little bit, you read around in the commentaries that they describe him as a runaway slave, that he left his master, Philemon. He ended up in a place where he meets Paul, he hears the gospel and it changes him. Yeah, which is what we believe the gospel can do. It transforms him. And now, this is the oddest thing in the world, he's going back. Why would a slave go back? Why would he go back? But he's going back to his master. And, and, uh, and you can read the story of Philemon about what, what goes on there. But, but Paul describes him as a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. So in the church in Colossae, we've got this man Philemon who was a slave master. We've got this man, Onesimus, who is a slave in the same church. It's wonderful, because you wouldn't have got that anywhere else. You wouldn't have got that. And then he talks about his friend Aristarchus. Oh, these names. Uh, he's a, who he describes as a fellow prisoner from Macedonia. And if you remember, how did Paul get into Macedonia? Well, at one point, he's, um, I can't remember where it was, but, but he's, he feels that the gospel has closed to him in one place and, and he hears the cry from Macedonia, people saying, come over and help us. Come over and help us. Well, maybe out of that, Aristarchus becomes a Christian, goes with Paul and becomes a fellow prisoner. Paul writes this from prison. 
At the end, he tells us, remember my chains. Grace be with you, remember my chains. He's a faithful prisoner with him there. And then he talks about Mark and John Mark, who is described as the cousin of Barnabas. And, and what you know about John Mark was actually he went with Paul and Barnabas at the very beginning. He was with them when they went on their first missionary journey, but they, they underwent some persecution. They got so far, he decided to turn back. He deserted them, basically. As a result of that desertion, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement, which means that they no longer minister together. They go in separate places. They go in different ways. But actually, what's happened is Mark has proved himself to be faithful. And don't you find that encouraging? Because there are times when you and I desert God. There are times when you and I want to run away. There are times when you and I let one another down. But actually, there's always the opportunity to prove yourself faithful. And that's what we want to do. We want to prove ourselves faithful in the gospel. Mark was also, we're told, the scribe of the gospel of Mark, um, which some would say was the gospel of Peter. That was, he dictated Peter's gospel. But he deserts Paul and Barnabas on an earlier trip, but he restores himself. And then he talks about Jesus, called Justice, a fellow worker. And he talks about Luke and Demas, Dr. Luke was the scribe of the book of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Demas is interesting because he comes up like a number of people at the end of a number of books. But there's one occasion where Paul says of him, and it's not in this one, I think it's 2 Timothy. There's one occasion where he says, Demas has left us because he loved the world. He left us because he loved the world. Now, what I love about that was not that Demas left, left them, but the reality, the humanness of Paul's experience of those who worked with him. Demas left us because he loved the world. Aren't we sometimes tempted to love the world a bit too much? Aren't we sometimes tempted, even though we might come to church, I've left because I loved the world? I remember the uh, tragic situation that happened at Kings as, uh, not, few, um, not that many years ago where a man left his wife, and you think, well, that, 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 that sort of happens. I mean, this guy, you, the week before, you wouldn't have known. He was on a rotor to serve, and then the next week he'd walked out. Why? It wasn't because in that week something major had happened. He had a long ago left Christ because he loved the world. He was still coming to church, but he had left him. His heart wasn't with him, and he would still talk and act like, like everything was all right. But actually, he'd already gone. It was, it was just a matter of time before it came out. Demas left him because he loved the world. And so my encouragement is let's not love the world too much. We're in the world. We're, 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 we're part of it. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. You can't love the world too much because if you love the world too much, it pulls you, it drags you, you drift For the church to be built, it needs people who are not perfect, but they are faithful. Yeah? If you're going to get into Paul's list of people that he commends, do you know what you have to be? You have to be faithful. You don't have to be super gifted. You just need to be faithful. The faithful means that you, you, you keep going, even when it gets tough, even when he's in chains, and so I'm in chains. 
Why? Because it's your love for the Lord that causes you to do that. Next, the church needs people who are prayerful. And in this passage, it talks about Epaphras. Again, it describes him as one of you. He was actually the founder of the churches in the Lycus Valley, Colossae, Laodicea, Heropolis. They were founded by Epaphras, who first heard the gospel in Ephesus. And what does it say? It describes him as a servant of Christ. And I love it. It says he's always wrestling in prayer for you. He's always wrestling. Yeah, Prayer is hard work. Just put your hands up if you find prayer hard work. Okay, most of us find prayer hard work. I find prayer really hard work. Yeah, Because I can drift and, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm on the BBC Sport. No, no I'm praying. Yeah, I can pray for the sport. No, no, don't pray for the, Don't pray that England win. No, don't pray those thoughts. Yeah? Prayer is hard work. But actually, what he prays, I love. Where's, where's my Bible gone? I love what he prays, uh, what it says that Epaphras prays in this passage. Because this is what we should be praying for the church and for one another. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. What is he praying? That you may stand firm in the will of God. Yeah, You may stand firm in the will of God. That you will be mature and fully assured. Yeah? So he's praying that you'll stand firm in the will of God, that you will be mature and that you'll be fully assured, that you'll be clear about who you are and what you believe, that you won't be blown around by every wind of teaching. You won't drift along like maybe Demas in the end did. I pray that for us, that we would stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Don't you pray that you grow into maturity? I pray that for me, yeah? Because at times I can be very immature. Yeah, sometimes at home it will be the parents that are immature. And our girls are going, Dad, grow up. And I'm like, I pray that we will be mature in our faith. That we won't, we won't, our faith won't be something that just gets caught up and we, we continually get caught up in externals. We continually uh, uh, struggle with fear and stress and all those types of things. I'm not saying I don't do those, I don't struggle with those things, but I'm praying that, that, that actually there'll come a day when I am more mature, that I have less of those struggles, that I know when I need to regroup, where do I regroup? Oh, I'll go to him. Yeah? I don't regroup by, by going shopping or I don't, I don't regroup by having a drink. I don't regroup by, by eating. I regroup by going to Jesus. That's a sign of maturity. What you do when you're struggling, how you get out of that, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of growing up into him. And so Epaphras is praying that and I know that there are people here who pray and I want to encourage you if, you're, if you pray that you would pray that for the church, that you would turn to the back of Colossians, the end of Colossians, and say, I'm going to pray for Beacon, that we would be in the will of God, that we would be mature, and that we would be fully assured in our faith. Pray that for the church. Most churches that, that end up being very fruitful, it's because somewhere, somehow, someone was praying. They don't, it doesn't just happen doesn't just happen. I'm sure, I, I don't know much about the history of HTB, um, but I am sure somewhere, somehow, 
someone a few years ago was praying in that church. And they may not even be alive now. They may not even see the fruits of their prayers, but someone was praying. Because churches don't just happen. It's not like, oh, well, one day Nicky Gumbel became pastor and, whoa, look what happened. No, someone was praying. Some work was being done, a bit like Epaphras. Someone was praying. And I know there are people here who pray, and I want to encourage you to pray for the church. The third characteristic is um, people who are hospitable. And it talks about Nympha and the church that meets in her house. Now, you can use that to sort of argue all sorts of things. Was Nympha the leader of the church? I, I don't know, and for me, that's not the point. The point here is that churches need people who are hospitable. They need people who open their homes because opening your home becomes a building block of church. In the early church, they had nowhere else to go, so that if people didn't open their homes, they had nowhere to meet. So people opened their homes, and so it talks a lot about so-and-so and the church that meets in their house. Well, do you know what? We still need that expression of church that meets in the home. And that actually, although you might come here on a Sunday and think, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going on. There is, there is lots of life when church meets in the home. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful to people here who open their homes to the church. Yeah, that's been something that Pauline and I have done. And, and you know what got us doing that was we were living in a one-bedroom flat in Catford many years ago and we had two children in that flat and we were going through the most difficult period of our, of our lives. Now, we hadn't been married that long, so you think, oh, well, it's hardly different. But we were going through a difficult period of our lives and we were in this one-bedroom flat and we were finding it really difficult. I was always getting down. But you know what? I learned through that process. I learned, first of all, that, that to regroup, I need to go to God. To find myself again, I needed to go to God. I found that. And the other thing we learned was that when we left that place and God provided us another house, I remember we walked into that house and we said to ourselves, this is not ours, this is his. And I don't think we would have had that thought had we not gone through six years where it was difficult. But we went through six years of difficulty and then when we walked into the new house, I remember looking saying, we got stairs. We never had stairs before. Yeah? But I remember thinking to myself, this is not ours, this is his. And so we've operated like that, and I knew something had happened inside us. There was a shift. It wasn't just that, oh, for a moment I thought that. No, that has been our approach. Every house we've had, it's not ours, it's his. And so that comes from this idea of hospitality. The home is a key part, and I thank you where you open up your home. And maybe there are others of us who need to open up our homes to the church. Churches are not built on coming to cinemas or even going to church buildings. They are built on homes. They're built on people. And the fourth character is Archippus. And it talks about Archippus actually in the book of Philemon as well. He was clearly a member of the church in Colossae. It describes him as a fellow soldier. And Paul's comment to him, tell Archippus to complete the work received from the Lord. Now I wonder whether was was that a prophetic instruction? Was that just encouragement? Was that just Archippus, keep going, don't give up? I got a text this morning from Phil Moore, who, who came and spoke here a few weeks ago, actually, and he just texted me to say uh, he, he quoted a scripture, and in effect he was saying, Owen, keep going, don't give up. Keep going, don't give up. 
And so Archippus has, has a work that he's received from the Lord. And you know what? We have a work that we've received from the Lord. Church here at Beacon is not purely a matter of personal choice. Because you know as well as I do, if it's all a matter of personal choice, we'd probably all be looking somewhere else. Yeah? Church is not just a matter of personal choice. And we have to get that out of our heads because, and it's a hard thing to get out of our heads because we live in a world which seems all about personal choice. I choose to do this, I choose to do that, I choose to go there, I choose to go here. And even churches can set them up. Come to our church because we offer this, come to our church because we offer that. Actually, being a Christian is not personal choice. I mean, there comes a point where you accept Jesus, but, but that's because you recognise something about yourself. I'm a sinner. I need saving. Where do I go for that? Yeah, I try all these different things and it doesn't work. Where do I? Oh, I surrender to Jesus. Yeah, that's not personal choice. That's not me deciding, well, who am I going to believe in? What am I going to believe in? Oh, I'll believe in Jesus. No, it's not a personal choice in that way. And do you know what? I don't think church is personal choice. Really honest, I don't see church as personal choice. I don't think that, that when Moses, when God spoke to Moses about leading the people out, his wife as a poor didn't say, do you know what, Moses? I don't feel called to do that. You go, I'll wait. No, she went along. It was almost like, what have I married? I've married a guy who's leading two million people into the desert. What, what scent, where's the scent in that? You can imagine her parents saying, Zipporah, what are you doing? I'm, I'm with him. Yeah? We don't follow Jesus. It's not all personal choice. Church isn't personal choice. God has given us a work to do. And he encourages us. Tell Beacon, complete the work you've received from the Lord. Complete the work. And that's not just me. You can look at it and think, well, I mean, you better get on with it. Uh, do you know what? I don't see it just as me. I don't, I don't, I don't think of this as just me. I don't, I don't think individual in that way. I, w- I wish I was better in my individual thinking because then I might have been good at individual sports, but I've never been good at individual sports. I need team. I need people around And the church needs all four types of people if it's going to be built and established. And you might be sitting there thinking, do you know what? I can be faithful. I can be prayerful. I can be hospitable. I can be purposeful. And if you're thinking any of those things, the church needs you. And you need the church. Because for you to fulfill what God has placed in you, you need to come into a place where the opportunity is given to do that. Just going back to my story right at the beginning about the mosque down the road. Now, I'm not trying to be controversial, but how, if we don't manage to establish a church here, along with lots of other churches that are established here, how will large numbers of those people who are converting away from Christ, understand enough about who he truly is to move back to him. How will they do that? It's not enough for me to stand on the corner in Brixton, as lots of people do, and start shouting the gospel. It's not enough. Yeah, Because you're not saved into a vacuum, you're saved into a people. And if you don't understand that, then I question whether salvation's happened. If you don't understand that that Christianity is not an individual thing, but it's a corporate thing, it's a community thing, then I'll I'll question whether you fully understood the gospel. Jesus died for a people. 
He's coming back for a bride, the, the church. He's not coming back just for an individual. He's not coming back, I mean, I'm coming back for you. Thank you. He's coming back for a people. How will they know? How will they hear if there is not a church that builds in such a way, presents in such a way that they can go, do you know what? I never understood that that's what it was really about. That's, that's the message we're bringing. That's the message that we've got for people. Now, I also know that at times it can seem like hard work. Yeah, building the church is hard work. Yeah, just put your hand up if you know that to be true. Yeah, okay. I see Pauline's going, yes! He's acknowledged it. Yeah, building the church is hard work. But you know what? The way, not that we're after this, but the way you get on to Paul's list of people he commends is you're faithful, you're prayerful, you're hospitable, you're purposeful. We can do those things. I'm not saying it's easy, but we can do those things. We can be those types of people because God has uniquely gifted us so. In one of the commentaries that I was reading, it had this short prayer that I'm just going to pray. Just before I do that, let me give you an example of today. We, I look at, I really admire HTB, I really admire uh, Nicky Gumbel. I've met him, but he wouldn't remember he'd met me. Oh, okay, maybe he will. <laughs> he wouldn't remember. I've met him a couple of times, but he wouldn't remember that he met me. But do you know what I think will be said of him at the end? I don't think God is going to commend him for Alpha. I don't think God is going to say to Nikki, do you know what, Nikki? That Alpha course, just give me five here because that was some idea. I don't think God's going to do that. But I think God will commend him for being faithful. Do you know what, Nikki? You were faithful. You completed the work I gave you to do. And just as he commends and will commend a Nicky Gumble for that, and, and we look at Nicky and we think, man, this guy's written books, he leads this big church, he, he, he covers the globe, really, he has influence everywhere. God will commend you in the same way for being faithful. You don't need to write books. You don't need to be in a big church. You don't need to be doing big, grand things. You just need to be faithful because that's how you get on the list. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Let's stand. I'm just going to pray. We're going to finish there. Just encourage you to close your eyes where you are. It's just a moment. You and God. Maybe you're somebody who is faithful. Maybe you're somebody who needs to step into being prayerful. Maybe you're somebody who needs to step into being hospitable or purposeful. Just going to pray. May the Lord help us to live as those who are complete in Christ and who complete the work he's given to us. May the Lord help us to live as those who are complete in Christ and to complete the work he's given to us. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you've called us to this place 
for such a time as this. And Lord, it's my prayer, it's my deepest prayer, it's a deep prayer of mine, that you would enable each one here to fulfil the part that you've got them to play in your great purpose. And Lord, where we call ourselves Beacon, and we see this as our church, Lord, I pray that you would move us from those who may be observers to those who will be participators. Those who are passive to those who are active. And Lord, I recognise that you use even our times of worship as a restorative process in this. That we can walk in here and feel like we're not going to get anywhere. But God, through the worship, you speak to us. And that that process causes us to want to play our part. And I pray, I pray that just like the Apostle Paul wrote to many and named many and commended them for their faithfulness, that God, one day you would commend us for our faithfulness to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.